joining. It always takes a few minutes for people to log on or a few seconds, I guess, for people to log on. But when you do log on, like, comment, share. Um, there's lots of other videos. We've just added everything in all of our interviews. I meant to tell you about this, Melissa, to Patreon, where all of our links, um, videos, meetings, everything is on Patreon. The link is right below. Um, but I'm really excited to have our guest, Melissa, on with Southbound Industrial Hemp. And um, if you wouldn't mind, tell me a little bit about yourself or our guests a little bit about us, about yourself. Okay. How you got into this. I want to know. Okay, I'll start a little bit with myself and then I'll branch off into South Bend Industrial Hemp and what that is. So yeah. my name is Melissa Nelson. I have a bachelor's in biology and a master's in agriculture from Colorado State. I am a crop research scientist and own my own facility here in Great Bend, Kansas. So a lot of people don't realize what crop research is and what that entails. And so basically I work with developmental chemicals, new genetic testing, so GMOs and crops and residue safety to make sure that by the time your crop gets to the consumer or to the livestock to be consumed, it has safe levels or no levels of residues. So that's, that's really what my job entails. In a nutshell, I'm helping develop the label that will be submitted to the EPA for commercial labeling. So, that like makes me feel so when you in order for a like my husband as a commercial farmer in order for him to use the products on his farm it has to go through five to seven years of testing in the field so that's my job and then the epa regulates that and they say yes this product is safe it's for sale no, this product is not safe. And this is all based upon data that I and other independent researchers all over the world have comprised. So they send off big reports and the EPA reviews them and then, and then it either gets approved or denied. So uh, I love it because it, it and it's a part of a bigger picture. You know, every piece of data that I'm collecting in the field for all these crops that I work with will eventually help my friends and family in the agricultural community. Because, you know, if I produce less than excellent data, they could get a less than excellent product and that's going to affect their bottom line. So it's really important to me to continually produce uh, work that is extremely detailed, valid to the T for the protocol. So that way it's consistent throughout the world where all these other trials are as well. So that's performance crop research. That's my company and kind of my baby that I've grown. Um, and I've been in research for, this will be my eighth year. That has slowly grown into South Bend Industrial Hemp. Um, that is a, I'm co-owning that with my husband and my brother-in-law. They are fourth generation farmers here in Great Bend, Kansas. And so I married into that family farm. Um, Aaron came to me, what was it, end of 2018, when we learned that 2019, they would be allowing licenses to be applied here in Kansas to grow. And he said, we should grow hemp. And I said, I don't do pot. Like, that's not my thing. And he goes, no, 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 that's not what hemp is. And I said, okay, whatever. And bless my husband, amazing guy. Uh, but he's definitely the idea guy. Like, he has a new business and a new idea weekly. And so my brother-in-law and I, we pretty much sort through them. And we're like, can't do that one. That's too much time. 
this is a good idea. We'll run with this. And so I started doing some more research about hemp and I loved the research aspect of it because it'd basically be a niche within my niche industry. Um, so I loved the opportunity of that. And then I love the opportunity of the potential for a new cash crop for farmers. Um, at that time, wheat prices were pathetic. Uh, they're still not super great. Corn prices were extremely low and so were beans and milo. So anything had that potential of being a new cash crop. Uh, so we jumped in, we applied for two licenses in 2019. Uh, we did grow CBD because that is that was the hot market at that time, but our passion and our focus is in fiber and grain and large scale agricultural production. So we did that in 2019, we had two different grows. Our fiber and grain grow was Successful in terms of education, not super successful in terms of tonnage produced. Um, was a good learning experience. I'm glad we had it because I think that's what turned around and made 2020 so great for us. Uh, our CBD grow went well. Uh, we found just like everybody else, it was very hard to offload that biomass. Um, so I actually formulated products and we make everything here on our farm. So our land to your hand. Um, and the big reason that I got into that is I was doing so much educating about CBD and all these talks and um, people were weary. They said, how do I know what, what's a good product and how do I read these COAs and things like that? And so I just decided to make my own because then I knew exactly what was in them. I knew I trusted who made them. And, uh, and so we moved forth from there and it really took off for us. So CBD line 2020 rolls around. We have our CBD grow again as well. And we decide to put um, fiber and grain underneath the pivot. So that way we can control the rainfall. We found in 2019, we grew it as a dry land crop. Um, the timing of when we put it in, we tried to follow wheat uh, and make it a rotational crop in that term. Didn't really work out so well in terms of timing. 2020, 180 degrees, different story. Beautiful plants. They were 12 to 14 feet tall. Um, we, we had a very successful year. We learned a lot and uh, we got to, to bring a lot of people to our farm and show them what we were doing. Well, and in uh, all things hemp, uh, there were some hiccups. I thought we had our fiber crop sold. So I called the guy that we're selling it to and I said, hey, we're harvesting in 30 days. We're, I got a truck, like, cause we have a commercial trucking company as well. So where, where are we taking this? And so we can get paid. Like, that's the important thing. And he said, oh, I have uh, been meaning to call you. I lost my funding and I'm not opening a fiber processing facility. I was like, were you going to tell me that? Were, were you going to tell me that? Or were you just going to wait till my truck showed up? Like, I don't. So we started crunching some numbers and we really saw this as a chicken and an egg. You know, no manufacturers are going to come and build in the U.S. if they have if they don't have a consistent supply. No farmers are going to grow it if there's no, you know, safe place that's going to take it, that they have trust that it's going to be taken. So we met up with Formation Ag after a lot of shopping around and decided to open our own processing facility. Great Bend here in Kansas is a fabulous place to do that in terms of logistics, in terms of economic development and community support, in terms of uh, farming acreage around us. We can get thousands of acres at our fingertips as long as you know, the pricing makes sense for us to buy it from fellow farmers. And so we launched South Bend Industrial Hemp Processing. So we now have 
we are fully integrated in several different areas of hemp and, and that's kind of in a nutshell, the quick story about us. Okay, so can you give, we were talking about switching from any of these other traditional crops or commodities, right? What mm -hmm. have you grown previously? And what was your, I mean, what, if you can put to numbers or some idea to why hemp is a solution? Like why, why did you find it advantageous to go in on so many levels? Okay, <laughs> yes. Um, so everything has to make sense. You know, at the end of the day, we are still diversified farmers. We highly encourage farmers not to go 100% in on this. Like diversify your farm. It is meant to be a rotational crop. It is meant to be worked in. And so we still grow and have grown corn, soybeans, milo, winter wheat. Uh, we grow a little bit of teff grass, which is a warm season, high protein hay. Um, we've kind of phased the teff grass out and we've moved the hemp in to, to replace those acres. Uh, so we're very much using it as a rotational crop within our farm. In terms of why we're doing this, we definitely see this as a future. And one thing that you can kind of think of when you, when you are putting more acres into hemp, you are pulling more acres out of corn, soy, wheat, you know, these different commodities. And I'll just use the Midwest, for example, because that's where I'm at. Those prices are going to go up. It's the supply demand. You know, you guys have seen it in high school, that X chart. When uh, supply goes up, you know, your demand goes, it all makes sense. It's going to help your pricing by converting those acres over to hemp. At the end of the day, and what you, what we really focus on is you have to have a place to go for it. Otherwise, you are just contributing to the 2019 CBD crash. If everybody puts in hemp, everybody puts in hemp, everybody puts in hemp, and then we have this oversupply, your price is going to tank because people are trying to offload it for anything instead of nothing uh, or, you know, instead of sitting on it. So we're very particular about who we work with, how many acres we contract. We want to make sure within our fiber processing facility, we can offload those acres after it's been decorticated. Um, very important that the numbers make sense. Okay, so there's a couple of things that I'm curious about. Okay. How many acres for volume do you need and what end market are you selling into? Like what's your, you know, when you talk about like, what does this contract look like? Because I hear over and over again that that really determines what you're growing. Correct. Right? You, you have harvested. You have to start with the end in mind. So the, you can kind of do some math and it's how you want your facility ran. So our machine does 1.8 tons per hour. And so if you go 1.8 tons and you want to times it by, let's say you run a nine hour shift a day and then six days a week, you know, you are running 90, nearly 98 tons a week. Um, a typical acre or a typical uh, farm is going to produce, we'll just say for dual purpose, so you're growing for grain and fiber, we'll do four tons per acre to be conservative. Um, you know, you're, so that's 24.3 tons or acres per week to meet your demand. So that can grow exponentially. So let's say you run a 16 hour shift or maybe your plant runs 24 seven. 
I mean, that's the numbers that you have to do to make sure that you're not over supplying the industry with, with unused acres. In terms of that, um, we have farmers within our growers group. We call it a growers group um, because one of the things that was really important to the processing facility when we started it was we wanted farmers to get in at a point where they felt comfortable and they could do so with minimal risk. You know, we, we understand that this industry is going to explode. So we need to set ourselves up to be successful in the two, three, five years, 10 years down the road. And so many farmers in our group are growing 10 acres, 50 acres. You know, they're not, they're not putting in their whole farm and we're helping them be successful this 2020 season. And so that way in two years, when my facility, our facility explodes and we're opening, you know, and we need 10,000 acres, I can say, hey, I need two pivots and I'll give you premium pricing to do it because you've been in my growers group. I know you can produce a high quality crop. Let's grow together. Right. And so that's exactly. And so we're trying to think long term. We're trying to set the industry as well as ourselves up for success. We're trying to help our fellow farmers because um, at the end of the day, we are farmers. We are for farmers uh, supporting the ag industry and making sure that they're taken care of. That is really the most important part to us. Yeah. So talk to me about what the harvesting looks like. So um, this is pretty talk about. And can you real break down really generic? I always forget this because when I talk about hemp, I know industrial hemp compared to high, low THC. Right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm not sure everybody else understands when we talk about harvesting, it's a completely different process than harvesting CBD. Yes. Okay. So just to kind of give you guys an idea, and I love talking basic ag terms as well. Like I love educating. Um, when you think CBD, you're thinking, you know, Christmas trees, you're thinking 5,000 or less plants per acre. You know, it's on a grid. There's five feet by five feet. You have a lot of room to work within the field. When we plant for fiber and for grain, we are at 1.5 million plants per acre. You know, it's, if you're not in agriculture, it's comparable to a grass lawn. Like we want it very heavily seeded. We don't want to be able to see the ground. Um, getting that crop cover is going to help in multiple areas of your operation in terms of weed control. So think almost like a lawn. That's the kind of seeding that you want. If you are familiar with agriculture, wheat or drilling soybeans is going to be pretty comparable to, to what we want. Yeah, similar to, to planting. In terms of harvest, so our goal in 2020 was to only use equipment that we already had on the farm. We wanted to show farmers that you can be successful with the equipment that you already have. Like this can be a crop that can be integrated within your commercial farm. So, so harvesting what 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 equipment or what crops would they be harvesting um, that would be similar that they would have similar equipment on hand? Yeah. So if you're growing for fiber only, you just need a swather, and so that would be like what you bale hay with. So you're gonna lay it down with a swather. You're gonna rake it together and make one big pile, and then you're gonna come in with a baler and bale it just as as if you would bale. 
And that is specific to us because if you're growing hemp, you need to know what your processor wants. For us, we want large round bales because that's what feeds our machine. Some companies want square bales. So again, begin with the end in mind, have that lined up so you can sell your product and get the price that you deserve. Because I can't offer a good price to square bales because I've got a lot of hand labor into that. So we request from our growers, large round bales. Um, if you are gonna grow for grain, you can just use, we are a case um, or family farm. You can see in my picture, red-blooded Kansas. That's actually my husband right there. Um, and then that's my stepson right up there. Um, we did a big promotion thing with Case IH and, and highlighting family farms in our area. So we don't, awesome. yeah, red-blooded Kansas. So that's what that is. We're Case IH. Um, and we run an 8010 combine. So a big draper head is the, the equipment that you're going to utilize to harvest that grain. A draper head is comparable for beans or for soybeans or, my, or I'm sorry, beans, wheat, or milo. So that's going to be kind of, you want the big draper head with the reel that really pulls it in. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What about? Reading in field, you know, some of these industries, um, that's that's a concern because of the secondary processing and the mold, right? What types of steps have to be taken to eliminate that or you know, what do farmers need to be aware of? So reading is still a very much um, developing area of the hemp industry. It's all pretty developed, developing, um, but reading seems to be the least, uh, I think it's overlooked. Yeah. Yeah. It's extremely critical because if it's not redded properly, I've got to run it through our processing machine two, three times to get the quality of herd and fiber that we need. Again, that hurts your price as a farmer because that's just more labor, more time that I have to input to get to get my costs of my product. Um, so we are helping our farmers red. They're, we're doing infield redding. Um, so we swap it down lay it, let that moisture come in. And then by raking it, you're flipping it over. And that's gonna help decrease your mold, decrease your discoloring and, and give you a higher quality product for when it comes to the processing facility. But it's very important that you break down that pectin layer that, that binds the fiber to the herd. Um, it's really gonna help with your, with your price that the processors can give you. Did I answer that question for right? Okay. Uh, yeah, I understand it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Okay. Yes, I am. I am still curious about the reading. Like it is something that is in discussion that I hear come up a lot, and there's a lot of differencing, different opinions about what's best. Well, it's really hard because, like, uh, I noticed your interview last time with Corbett. You know, where he lives in Monta Vista, they get six inches of rain a year. They have to apply. Um, moisture to, to insinuate or to work in that redding process. We get 21 inches where we're at. And if you go to Eastern Kansas, where some of my growers are, they average 32. So understanding the moisture and being able to check the quality, because if you leave it in the field too long, it's only going to discolor and get, you know, kind of a gray color almost. And 
a bioplastics facility, they don't care about the coloring because they're going to break it down and put it into pellets. And so that is a different output or, a, you know, an offshoot for our processing facility. But if you have a company that's working for animal herd or, you know, wanting to buy for animal herd, they care about the appearance of their herd. They want it to be nice and uniform color and, and all these things because it's in their, their horse stalls typically. Um, so understanding the reading process is very important for you to be successful. Well, and I'm curious too, I had a conversation this morning about this grading or certifying body, you know, that everybody's talking mm -hmm. about. And we talk about, I see that aspect of the industry being valuable to securing this cost of product or value of product. So farmers know right off the bat, what is their product worth? Right. And to get to the highest grade of fiber or cleanest herd or whatever it is, right, that they're looking for, that this process has to be done, X, you know, XYZ process has to be done. And so I think that even going further than, you know, getting it to the processor, but from there, where is that product being sold into? Because if it's textile grade and what type of textile, you know, is it the um, for clothing versus rope? or uh, mm -hmm. boat sales, you know, or biofuels or construction materials. And yeah, so tell me on your processing side, have you guys secured those contracts? You guys have end, and where is the end? Where, where does this supply chain go now, right? Because I hear people all the time, and you don't have to be specific about names. Like, fine. But I hear people all the time talk about, well, I'm going to process or I'm going to grow or I'm making, but yeah, I'm curious. You, you almost are complete seed to your Almost. Almost. <laughs> um, you know, it's a been, been a very exciting journey uh, seeing people kind of move their manufacturing companies over to hemp a little bit more. Um, and we only see those lines going to expand. To kind of go back a little bit in terms of grading, grading is extremely important. And I speak as a farmer on that line. Because when I secure grain crops at the co-op and I have contracts there, they are very specific on the grade of grain that is coming into their facility. Because they, I'm not going to say they don't know where it's going to go, but some of it gets trained down to Mexico for tortillas and flour mills and things like that. Some goes to cattle feed, you know, it doesn't matter. You want the top quality grain coming into your facility, just like we want the top quality um, bales coming into our facility. So that way we don't have to right, say, right. this pile is for low quality stuff. This pile is for high quality. No, we just want high quality stuff. And we realize this is gonna be kind of a developing thing that's happening. And the contracts that we've worked with with our farmers they understand that this is the scale that we are envisioning. This is what we're asking for. Uh, we gave them a price range for what we can offer them in terms of final product. And, and we said, if you want top dollar, it is because it's redded. It's not moldy. You know, like we, we're very specific in what we could give top dollar for. So they know as growers, what we are expecting. It's very clear. Um, and so there's no surprises. And as a farmer, I appreciate that. As a processor, I have to have it because that helps make things easier on my end when I'm trying to contract these things out. Well, so well. in terms of where we're contracting, yeah. that is always a developing market. Um, 
we are in talks with a a lot of exciting opportunities. Um, I know that if one of these uh, manufacturing contracts goes through that we're kind of negotiating right now, we'll be ready to put a down payment on a second machine with Corbett immediately. Um, that's kind of why we're hoping to build a network throughout the Midwest, uh, because if a company is closer to Indiana and they can have lower shipping costs and, and we can push that workload to the network in Indiana, that is only gonna be more successful for the industry. So that's, that's kind of our goal. We don't want some big, huge conglomerate facility here in Great Bend. We want one in Great Bend, one down the road in Topeka, you know, like we, we want little stations, kind of like co-ops, like you see throughout the Midwest anyway. Um, we have different talks with paper mills for fiber. Um, there is a company in Wichita, Kansas, that is doing prosthetics with fiber. Uh, they want long-lined fiber, so understanding the long and the short-lined. Thankfully, our machine produces a lot of long fiber, so that, that opens a different market for us in terms of uh, textiles and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then there is several bioplastic facilities here in Kansas that are very excited to work with us because it just helps tell a story. And that is one of the most beautiful things about agriculture is the story. Uh, a lot of people are so far removed from the, the farm, but being able to tell that story in these bioplastic facilities can tell a story that is coming from a Kansas farm, from a Kansas processor. Like it, it just, it helps everybody. Um, so different, different avenues that we've got going on. Uh, a lot of balls up in the air that we're trying to keep out there, but it, it's happening, so. Okay, so we've said a, a, quite a few times, right, that collaboration and education are key in order mm -hmm. to grow this industry. What does that look like outside of your organization? You know, who who's the ideal person to be collaborating with and group to be collaborating with? Or how do we create that so that we can really move this industry forward? Um, I don't know if there's an ideal group. I mean, I would consider almost everybody ideal because everybody, this industry is so big that, you know, there's really not a whole lot of competition. Um, it's quite, it's, I mean, it's, if you see competition and you are already undercutting other people and other facilities, you're only going to hurt yourself because this industry is so small right now. If you aren't, a good grower or a good processor. And by, when I say good, I mean, just honest, forthcoming, you know, like basic business principles that I think are, I think are basic. Um, but remember you know, there's no such thing as common sense. Yeah. I'm learning that. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah. What, what do they say? Never assume it only makes an ass out of you and me. Yeah. Yes. I'm, learning, I'm learning that. Um, but I think working together, like I had a guy call me and he said, I've never grown before. I want to be involved in the hemp industry. And I said, well, okay. So you're not a grower and that's okay because there's so many other places like, right. Tell me something that you do do or what, what is an area that you're in? Well, he's in construction and he's in insulation. And I said, okay, well then let's, let's maybe explore hemp insulation. And he's like, I didn't even know that was a thing. So now he's working with binders and he's actually bought some herd from us to do his garage. And so that way he can, I mean, he's looking to take this big. 
And I just, it's the type of industry you can either be a mile wide and an inch deep, or you can be an inch wide and a mile deep. And I really encourage people to find their niche within that, within this industry and go a mile deep because we're currently at that like half mile wide, half mile deep. Like we're pretty spread out. Um, it's hard. It is hard. And if you can there find your so way. much, I think you said it well, there's an incredible amount of work. People used to always say, well, how is it going? And I was like, I feel like I'm meeting an elephant with a baby spoon. So <laughs> I've tried to stay in my lane, you know, yeah. in focusing on this piece of the industry. And because it is even, I look at the industry more like the tech. Tech is in everything, right? Mm -hmm. Hemp is going to be in everything you see eventually. Yes. <laughs> and we really, like, yes, we have our fingers in a lot of areas, but we care about our farmers. Like, that's ultimately why we're opening the processing facility. We care about our farmers. We have the CBD line because we care about our community and people finding reliable products, you know? We care about our people, and that's that's really where we're a mile deep at. Well, and I think that what you did and what I really respect is you saw a need and have fulfilled a need. Like the processing is a need. The research is a need. Nobody raises their hand and says, hey, I want to dive in for seven years or eight years into research before we start processing and really building product, right? It's something that you know you need it and you enjoy it and because of your hard work we're reaping the benefits or other people are reaping the benefits so i commend both you and your husband and yeah all of the hard work so as much as you say spread out you have a, a great amount of experience and resources behind you um and a network that is yeah priceless in my opinion so. oh and the network continues to grow and it's funny yeah. the different networks that we bring in because yeah. Like we're a part of the hemp feed coalition. So we understand the importance of that. You know, where we deal a lot with formation ag and we've gotten to make those connections with them in terms of processing and, and that. On the flip side, we do a lot of educational speaking. So being able to connect with just the day-to-day -day consumer of these products and teaching them potential of this, like those connections is really why we do this. It's it's been what would you say your most frequently asked questions are? What people that are coming up? Yeah, I'm curious. Um, when I started, it was, why are you in weed? Which this is, this is the most exciting part to me is seeing the development of this. Like we, we got laughed at in town. Our community only has like 10,000 people in it. It's extremely small. And the next town over is 30 minutes and it has 2,000 people in it. And so word gets around. It's pretty small. And, you know, you walk into the bank and it's like, oh, it's the wacky weed lady. And I'm like, no, we were always very clear from the beginning. No, we are industrial hemp. Um, and we would bring law enforcement out like we have annual open houses and things like that. Um, so the first one was, what's the difference? And what I found is that you really have to find a way to connect something that they're already can, like they already know that is tangible. And so what I do for people is I'm like, okay, let's think about this. We go into a supermarket, you go to the vegetable section and you go to the peppers and you're like, I need peppers. Well, you have bell peppers and you have jalapeno peppers. I would say the bell peppers are, would be comparable to industrial hemp. 
You have the jalapeno peppers, which is marijuana. These are both a pepper, but these are two very different peppers. <laughs> then you go to your bell peppers and you've got orange peppers, yellow peppers, and green peppers. Well, this is kind of like fiber, grain, and CBD production. They're all, all a bell pepper, but three very different bell peppers. So that's, and then people, you can see the light come on and they're like, okay, like I can connect this to something that I'm already familiar with. So we've kind of moved past that. Um, and that's been exciting to kind of help educate people. And then they can turn around and because they understand the analogy that you use, they can tell somebody else. And so it just, it's funny when I talk to people now in different groups, they they tell me about the bell pepper and how they see that. And I'm like, oh, I know where you got that. Like, <laughs> I said that, you know, and so that's kind of cool. But um, questions now? I think it's mainly where can this product go? Like, what what can we do with this product? And then a lot of people in our area are very much into grain production. We have so many cattle feedlots around where we're at in central Kansas. And these are not small feedlots. They're, you know, 50,000, 100,000 head. Um, and so being able to integrate this new crop with a, such high nutritional value, you know, they want to know how they can be involved and how they can use that, utilize it. So. How long do you think it's going to be until we're mainstream, until hemp is really in the majority of our products? What's our time frame? Mm, in terms of like raw materials, like grain and things like that, oof, a year or two, I, I think like it's a domino effect. Once this gets rolling and, and we're at that point where that domino is about to tip, there's a lot of things that are about to happen. And that's what just keeps driving us forward on the hard days is we're like, we're almost there. Um, you know, the, we've got some amazing people driving this industry. And so I see it coming um, in terms of like mainstream production. I think that's going to be closer to the five year mark in terms of products just for because you have to make it cost effective. And right now it is not cost effective for the end consumer. Like when you see hemp wood, it is beautiful, but it is comparable to a high end wood finish, you know, not your or you're just day-to-day -day lumber. Um, so getting that to a point where it's more cost-effective to get to more people, whether that be shirts or wood or, you know, plastics or whatever, um, I think that's going to be closer to five years. I'd love to be wrong, but I think it's going to be closer to five. I agree with you. I just, that's when we talk about the time frame that we need even to build facilities and then to ramp up on acreage, right? And then to bring up, you know, sustainable crops, like you said, you know, if we're just introducing, there's a really good chance that people are gonna fail because we just don't know what seeds to use or they weren't sold the right seeds or because regulations also haven't caught up, right? Right, yeah. Uh, so, so when you said just a minute ago, um, people that are really driving the industry, you know, that we have really good people driving that industry. Where do you see the industry going and where do you see the support that's really driving that industry? What are they doing? Is Speaking. that processing? I mean, it, I would say it's, it's all areas. It's, and we all have our own niche. Like, 
you know, Andrew Bish, he has a whole different audience than Corbett Hefner at Four Nation Ag. And I have a whole different audience than those two individuals. And then you have like Melissa Peterson and her husband are, who are running the U.S. Hemp Growers Expos. The amount of education that they're being able to open to people at these Nebraska Ag Shows, Iowa Ag Shows, the seminars that they're putting on, that reaches a whole different area that I can't even touch because, you know, once we start planting here on April 19th, I don't leave our farm until like October. Um, so I don't have that opportunity to, to touch the people that they do in Tampa or Buffalo or, you know, wherever they're at. Um, the the people that are coming up with these machines like formation ag and i keep saying them because that's that's who we work with the most but their mind and how he looks at a piece of equipment and how he can take a round bale stocks and then make it produce this i can't do that my brother-in-law can he can he can look at a combine or look at a piece of machinery and say i understand how that works that's not my strength my strength is numbers and math and the science and the plant pathology. That's where I thrive. Um, so we all, there's just so many different areas. And then you have like IND hemp or you have um, healthy seed oils up in South Dakota that is doing that for hemp hearts. Like there's so many amazing people in this industry. And what I love is we go to these expos and everybody is supportive of everybody. You know, and and we see even other processors, we understand the importance of working with them because we need them to produce the best quality product that they can, just like they need us to produce the best quality product. And not in terms of competition, but moving this industry forward. Because if, let's say you go buy some less than ideal herd, and then you're like, this is this is terrible. This is shit. Why would I change over my company to a herd based cement or whatever? And it's not a great product. Well, maybe you just haven't found the right product. So, you know, we all have to work together to create this standard and the foundation. And we want it to be up here, not down here. You have to elevate that standard because yes. the bad players do a lot of damage to our industry, right? If it's a black eye. Yeah. Yeah, and the relationships are valuable, right? There's, yeah, it's very, very impactful. You said something else, now I forgot what I was gonna say, and I was like, I kept repeating it in my head while you were talking, because I didn't want to forget. But, oh, uh, well, dang it. Um, talk to me about commodity pricing. What does that mean for a crop when it's uh, fiber versus uh, horticulture? Like the CBD side of things or just horticulture in general? Uh, CBD side of things. Um, well, you're pretty much donating your time if you're growing for CBD. Unless you have a, a retailer that you're selling to, like you know Charlotte's Web or whatever company that you're selling to. Um, or if you're white labeling your own product just because prices are so low. Um, I know that there is still biomass from 2019 out on that market and so that has to be used up let me plug in my computer i just got the uh notification thing you're in battery saver mode okay we're good i'm mean, not gonna die now um in terms of pricing there it's 
very low. And what's crazy to me and what scares me is there's still people jumping in head first. They call me and ask for recommendations for plant varieties and things like that. And, you know, I'm very honest with them. And I'm like, what's your plan? Like, I'm not trying to steal your plan. I don't, I don't really, I just want to make sure that you have a plan. And they said, well, we'll figure it out as we go. And I said, you do realize that you will, you will not make any return on your investment. You know, they're putting up greenhouses, they're doing all these things. And they said, yeah, that's fine. And I said, okay, well then this is the variety I would suggest as long as you're going in knowing that you are not going to make it. Yeah. Like don't, don't put your house mortgage on this. Like, so as long as they know that Um, in terms of fiber and grain, you can kind of treat it more like the hay market. Um, We do a lot of haying here in Kansas. And so allowing that farmer to punch out a budget for the year. So he knows his input costs of fertilizer, seed, uh, baling production, whether that's rented out or his own time and labor that he's encompassing in this budget. Um, and then understanding how many tons he needs to produce in order to make this work. So. Okay. Do you think that each, um, when we talk about like the Midwest and their production, right? How much they're going to be able to, to grow. Do you think that the Midwest, I, I guess let me ask is what part of the North America or the United States do you think will really take off in crop? You know, and do you think that it will be divided by maybe end use or industry? So say maybe fiber is grown in a certain area and grain is grown in a certain area and uh, maybe for a construction or biofuels or aerospace. Yeah. What's your feedback there? I think that's extremely critical for the success. Um, I think Kansas, Oklahoma, the panhandle of Texas, these are going to be high production area for grain and for fiber. And the reason that is, is because you have to look at daylight length. You have to look at heat units. You have to look at average rainfall. This isn't a plant that likes to be super saturated. Um, You know, understanding that and when your rainfall is coming, it's going to help you be successful. Um, In terms of output, if you're producing for grain, you better have a place to go with it. Like up in North Dakota, they've got Rogers uh, food grade facility. That is a great outlet. I know there's one opening in South Dakota. That is a great outlet. We have feed yards. So once that opens up, people are going to explode towards that. Um, Oh, we lost her. Shoot. Well, heck, we'll have to um, call it a day. Thank you very much for watching.